PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, a weekly podcast on the Pro Cannabis Media Network. And we're so proud to be joined by a media partner of sorts. His name is Michael Cusack. He is the publisher of a different leaf magazine. We are both coming to you from Massachusetts. I am closer on the Boston side. Michael is closer on the Berkshire side. Is that accurate, Michael? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm in the Connecticut River Valley. It's good to see you, Jimmy. Good to see you too. And thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about a different leaf magazine. I know a little bit about it. Um, it's a quarterly now it's focused on mm -hmm. a, the cannabis industry specifically in Massachusetts, but uh, you also have a pretty extensive background in publishing. This is not your first rodeo nor your first publication, is it? No, no, it's not. It's actually, it's my second, but I've worked for, I worked for um, uh, an alt weekly, the, the Valley Advocate, which was part of the advocate chain of newspapers that sort of ran from Vermont down to Stamford, Connecticut. And I was there for a number of years and I've worked kind of in the PR communication side for a long time um, and then uh, switched into the publishing side. For a number of years, I published a magazine called Take, which covered kind of the creative economy in New England. And as that was winding down, I was looking for a new project and ran into a friend who's a cultivator. Uh, we talked about legalization and uh, what was going to be coming down the pike for Massachusetts. And it was all very interesting. Um, as somebody who's smoked since college, uh, but you know, am not very good at it. Uh, <laughs> it was fascinating and interesting, but what I learned was a lot more about the law and the legislation here in the state that I had voted for. Um, and that got me thinking about what was out there and what was kind of missing in cannabis media. And as somebody who had just turned 50, um, you know, when I was doing my research, uh, I didn't see uh, a publication for sort of the older consumer who might be coming back to cannabis after a long time away and now that it's legal, or somebody who might be coming to it for the first time who was looking for sort of basic introductory um, information. So that's really where Different Leaf came out of, was what I saw was kind of a, uh, a little hole in the media landscape that I thought I could fill. Right. And it, it's interesting. We talked about this. Uh, it's that emerging market, that uh, emerging baby boomer market, if you will, that are looking to improve their lifestyle during their later years in life. Mm -hmm. And as you said, trying to perhaps uh, reconnect with a product that they may have experimented with in the uh, 60s, 70s, or 80s, depending on when they ended up on the in the college campuses. Um, sure. And, and, and it, it's funny because we're both we both recognize we're media companies. All you know, our product are the people that are consuming our productions, whether it be interviews, news shows, live shows, or uh, a publication of a magazine. And really and truly, you and I both know that the only existing market really is a much younger market that is skewed to the, let's call them everyday user. Would, they, mm -hmm. would that be an accurate euphemism to explain the sure. donor culture? Yeah, well, I think that, that, um, I think that cannabis 
cannabis has sort of, um, popularly cannabis is seen as a young person's game in a sense that most people get have their first experience of it in college. A lot of the culture around it is centered around young people. Certainly when I was doing my research to do Different Leaf, that was something I saw, that there was a lot of media directed to younger people. And, um, and that's great. I mean, I think there should be a lot of media directed to younger people around cannabis, um, but there, but there was that space where people want to feel comfortable where they're at, where they're getting their information. And um, cannabis is one of those things where there's a lot of good information. There's a lot of very good responsible media out there. And um, there is having built up over time, you know, some not so great information out there, um, particularly on the web um, that is not based in really hard journalistic research or that sort of thing. And uh, I think there's a space for people who are doing that kind of good editorial work. One of the things that um, that motivated me actually to start a media company that was pro-cannabis was when I watched interviews on what I would consider to be traditional media of cannabis industry executives and how unprepared the journalists were for that interview and were really looking for reasons for the industry to fail you know, as opposed to being understanding that this is a, a new unique industry and there's really no comparables to it unless you happen to be around when alcohol was um, allowed to come back out of prohibition uh, back in the 19, late 1930s. So where are we, where, as we go along here, do you feel like you're part of this historic moment in our time? It's really exciting. I... Um... I, I was not somebody who was from the cannabis culture when I got started. And so I've, I've, I've tried personally to sort of tread lightly and listen a lot because as a, as a new member of an existing community, I wanted to be sure that I was hearing people's stories so that I could report them better. Um, uh, I, as a quarterly magazine, I have a little luxury of time and my writers have a luxury in time and being able to do that. And I think, you know, what you were talking about with cannabis, with, with sort of um, mainstream media sort of looking at cannabis and either hoping it's failing or trying to come up with yet another headline that uses some sort of stoner joke in it to talk about the industry. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a faster media um, and I think, uh, you know, what I wanted to do, and I think what you're trying to do is, is sort of help the normalization along by taking the time to tell the stories of the people behind, uh, behind this industry, so that consumers can make smart decisions about where they want to spend their money and how they want to access the products we create in this industry. Right. I mean, you and I both share, it's a fascinating industry to be part of. Completely. Oh, right? completely. Yeah. I mean, I start, I thought, well, this could be a good business decision. And I started talking to some cannabis businesses and there was interest in what I wanted to do. But when I started looking at what stories were out there, I just thought it's bottomless. There are so many interesting stories in this industry beyond that it's legal and you can buy it now. Um, there are just there, the, the depth of stories, uh, the, uh, are, are fantastic. I'll, I'll be busy for a long time. And so will you. 
Right. No, it's so funny. I mean, I, I, I kid, as you know, I, I was a sports guy for a long time in New England. Yeah. And now I'm interviewing botanists and PhDs and scientists. And I avoided science plague (laughs) you know in my college years if you will so you know for me to be talking to these people it it, it's not ridiculous but it's a great exercise because especially later in life because you know what you actually can learn quite a bit from these intelligent scientists can't you absolutely and i think it's great to go in as a novice somewhat um when you're a journalist because then it forces you to do the research, but you also understand about telling a story in a way that somebody who is new to the topic can understand it. Right. And I think that was that was one of the challenges I found even when reading like really good sort of legacy cannabis publications, uh, they were sort of a 400 level college course. And what I needed was the 100 level. I needed that I needed that intro level class to get me to a place where I could sit and have a, a smarter conversation. And right. I think that that I think for you and I serves our 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 readers and our listeners and our viewers because we're growing along with them. Right. And I'm not afraid to make fun of myself with my lack of knowledge when you it comes to. to biology and chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I try to explain to people, I say, hey, do me a favor and dumb this down for the those that have not gotten their Ph.D. in botany or or um, or any of those plant based studies that are out there, because, I, you know, I don't understand. I get I now know what a terpene is. I now know what a trichome yeah, exactly. is. Exactly. Yes. Not in a million years did I know didn't think I'd be talking about it, but I get it. And I actually think I understand the role it plays in this plant one way or another. Absolutely. Humility goes a long way when you're in media. That's for sure. How much of the, do you do any of the writing still? Or are you hiring freelancers to do most of your stories? I do write um, a few short things here and there. Um, uh, uh, it's just where we are as a startup, you know, uh, have to do a fair amount of lifting, but I, I am the one full-time person behind this magazine. And uh, I, I am, if I'm good at anything, I'm I'm smart about hiring people who are much smarter and more talented than I am. And so I have great writers. I'm always on the lookout for other writers who want to work with us. Um, but on top of writers that work with great photographers, great illustrators, um, you know, uh, and great designers. And so, you know, I try to create a really beautiful magazine, a real beautiful product that that people want um, that people want to pick up will want to read. And I think that's the challenge of being a print magazine in a digital world is right. you have to give people something a little bit more. <clears throat> when I was thinking about starting this, uh, a really good friend and a colleague of mine who is in marketing and communications um, said to me, I just want a really nice magazine about cannabis that I can put on my coffee table. And I was like, I'll give you that. I'll yeah. do that for you. <laughs> so. That's nice. That was nice of you. Too. Yeah. Um, I do know when you talk about the digital universe, you mm-hmm. are still involved with it because you brought in someone I have a lot of respect for, Britt Smith, mm-hmm. uh, to host your, is it a weekly podcast that uh, you guys put out? 
We're doing it uh, right now. We have a bi-weekly podcast and it is hosted by Britt Smith, who used to do Blunt Talk, which was another podcast. And um, I'm incredibly excited to be working with her. We have a great producer, Andrea Moraskin, um, who's also working on the podcast and it's been coming out bi-weekly and we're finding that listenership. It's it's challenging being in cannabis because even though we're not a plant touching business, um, we still face the same sort of challenges around advertising and getting the word out that any other uh, company in the space has. And, um, but uh, one thing is Brit is really great at social media and she has been uh, getting the word out. And we've really had some great guests as well, which I think has helped spread the word about the podcast. Yeah, and I, and I think imitation is the greatest form of flattery. It doesn't hurt when I see a guest that I've had on my show is on Brit's show, and then I <laughs> yeah. see Brit has a guest, and I go, oh, that'd be a great guest to have. You know, so there's, there's that mutual respect uh, oh, sure. amongst us producers, I guess, right? Sure, yeah, well, there's definitely, I mean, there are some really fascinating, interesting people uh, out there doing some, uh, like, like, you know, like I said, at the top of the interview, it's, it's, it's endlessly interesting. And it's nice to find, it's nice to have familiar names uh, from the cannabis industry on and hopefully introducing them to a new audience. Um, but it's also exciting to find um, new people in general to come on and talk about what they're working on. Yeah, we, we both recognize that we're working in an industry that's a niche industry now in a media that is doing more niche casting than broadcasting. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about a niche of a niche these days when it comes to creating content and distributing it on, on social media. Are you finding that uh, some of the journalistic uh, challenges or the uh, journalistic um, tribe that's out there that, that want you know, to uphold the, the, um, the differentiation between church and state when it comes to publishing and payola, if you will. Has mm -hmm. that softened at all? Do you, do you find that uh, there's still that good balance of people? To me, when I talk to somebody and they know they're recording, I can't really misquote them because it's being recorded. Mm -hmm. That is always something I've enjoyed about electronic media. Mm -hmm. How yeah. do you feel about that? Oh yeah, I'm I in to I mean what I say to 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 companies that we cover or companies that are advertisers with us, um, because I'm both I, I I'm both church and state in one person. So I usually say that I'm putting on my I'm putting on my publisher's hat, which is the hat that's going to sell you advertising, yeah. and then I can put on my editor's hat, which wants to talk to you about a story. And I, I, I'm very clear with the people who who come to Different Leaf that as you know, if you're an advertiser, it doesn't mean you're going to get editorial, um, but if you're uh, um, it, that, that doesn't necessarily, you're not going to get one or the other. You don't have to be an advertiser to get editorial. And if you're an advertiser, it doesn't guarantee your editorial. You have to give me a reason to write a story. Um, um, that said, I mean, I think though with a lot of media, you have, ad, you have advertorial or what is right. now called native. Um, you know, that is something I'm willing to entertain with the right client and at the right time, it's not something we've done yet, but I mean, it is, it's, it's part of, it, it's part of a modern media mix. It's what advertisers expect now. Yeah. It, it's funny. Um, I had a discussion with a former general manager of a major traditional broadcast 
uh, channel in the greater Boston area. I'm not going to name him, but uh, we had this discussion and he goes, well, it sounds like you want to become a, a show for the cannabis industry. And I'm like, no, I want to become a successful business person who tells stories. So, you know, it, it, and I said now, and I, I won't use his name, but I said, you have heard of TMZ. They actually pay to break stories. I'm not sure I'm going to pay to break a story, but I'm not going to shy away from asking the questions that help tell that story. And I think there is a difference in that when it comes to um, journalism and, and, and having some responsibility to your audience to uncover the truth to a story. Sure. It's like being, it would be like writing for Sports Illustrated. If you work for Sports Illustrated, you love sports and you may have a particular favorite sport, but, and you want to elevate the player or the team in that sport in your, in your writing, but Sports Illustrated it also covers the, the warts of the sports industry right. as right. well. And I think that that's a, that's a fair place to, to be as a as sort of as a single topic media channel, you know, whether you're covering sports or fashion or architecture, it doesn't matter what you're covering. Um, the, the, you know, if, if an advertiser wants to be in front of a lot of readers' eyes. Readers have a lot of options and they're picky about what they are going to spend the limited time they have with. And I think generally people want good journalism served to them and they will reward that with their attention. And that's good for both the journalists and the advertisers because it's the eyes are all there. Anything that's just fluff, well, you know, it's not exactly, you know, it doesn't last as long. So right. absolutely, well, the sensationalism, the sensational story, the one that um, drives emotions is always the one that I think we like to hear those kinds of stories. I, I believe that there's an industry in California and in the LA area that has done quite a great job of sensationalizing and embellishing true stories. I'm obviously yeah. talking about Hollywood here. Yeah. But as you, as you look at the media landscape, and needless to say, journalism and media has taken quite a hit over the last half dozen years or so. Um, are you finding that there's still integrity amongst those that are out there publishing or are, have we become jaded and, you know, is it a Fox versus CNN decision that all of us have to make as opposed to finding someone who is just giving you facts without interpreting those facts? Oh, Tough um, one, huh? yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it, it's, um, a lot of people have said that the pandemic is going to be like an extinction level event for media. And it's, it's happening. I mean, it has been happening for a very long time. Um, there's endless amounts of words about what media is going to look like in the future, what media looks like today, mm -hmm. how can we save journalism? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, looking at different business models, looking at different, uh, different ways of tackling both the work of doing journalism and the business side of supporting journalism. Um, uh, I think we're at a real major inflection point. Mm -hmm. 
We've lost so many good journalists. Even my local paper here in Northampton, Mass, where I live is going through real troubles because they've lost so much local advertising during the pandemic. And I don't like the idea of living in a small town, uh, a small city in Massachusetts without its own newspaper. I mean, I don't think it's closing up shop just yet, but it's, you know, it lost its editor two weeks ago. But so as a, you look, you, you understand media and you're in a small town. Why wouldn't someone want to create what I would consider to be multimedia journalists, a multimedia story? Mm -hmm. You can now everybody walks around with their iPhone or their smartphone or their Samsung, whatever mm -hmm. Android device that they use in their back pocket. This to me is a news gathering machine, a news gathering tool. And we saw it. Unfortunately, we saw it at that display that was in Washington, D.C. earlier. Well, it was last week now. And, you know, I saw just about 90 percent of the people wandering through the halls of the Capitol holding their phones, mm -hmm. documenting a riot, documenting a crime going mm -hmm. on. And, and yet I, I, I have to ask myself, do they understand that they're actually showing people or creating evidence of a crime that they are perpetuating, <laughs> right? I mean, doing it for the gram. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, but this is what I mean. And yet there are great stories in small towns all over mm. the world right now that of, of survival stories, not just dealing with the virus, but you mentioned businesses going out. And yet there are still some businesses that have actually opened, Michael. I actually mm. met a restaurateur who opened a business, opened a restaurant a month ago. And I said, are you nuts? <laughs> Do you know that like no one's going inside restaurants? <laughs> yeah. And yet, brave person. That's like starting a magazine. Yes. <laughs> brave <him. laughs> In brave a digital him. era. Right, well, I guess yeah. we all like challenges, right, as humans. Yeah. But shouldn't, shouldn't some entrepreneur want to tell those stories of the local town government and the, and the local businesses yeah. that are opening? And all they really have to do is you know, have that little phone around and understand how to put a story together with the beginning, a middle and an end. I mean, to yeah. me, you know, someone who's lived in newsrooms or worked in newsrooms for 30, 40 years, you know, having that not just daily deadline, but hourly deadline. Sometimes if you work in a 24 seven operation, that's just, okay, what can I do next? What can I do next? What can I do next? And I believe everybody has a story to tell. So I wonder if there's an opportunity you know, getting away from the medium, getting away from the actual print product, but you still have social media where you can post these stories and create a following and create an audience and then ultimately monetize that following. So I, I just wonder, do, do we see, is there an opportunity out there for that entrepreneurial journalist to do those stories in small towns? I think what it will take is the duopoly of Facebook and Google and the amount of ad dollars that they take out of the, the, the amount of ad dollars <laughs> that Facebook and Google consume right now yep. is something like 70 or 80% of all of the advertising dollars spent in the United States are spent on Facebook and Google. Right. And that means every media company that's not Facebook and Google is fighting for that tiny piece of pie. And yep. that tiny piece of pie is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, um, you know, I think uh, advertisers 
can help that process by thinking about where they spend their advertising dollars and supporting independent media like yours and mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's, that's a real strategic thing that they can do. Um, uh, I think uh, readers um, have to understand that not all content is free, that they're going to have to pay for something. And that um, I think uh, there are going to be new modes of editing and writing and creating journalism that are gonna come down the pike. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's not, always, it's not always the old way of doing those things. I think those, those ways are gonna change. So I think everybody in the relationship has to figure out what their new roles are going to be for it to be successful. Um, and people have to think about, you know, readers think about where they wanna spend their time reading, the time that they have to read or watch or listen. Uh, advertisers need to think about the kind of media that they want to support. Um, and those of us who create the content need to be adaptable to the new ways of, of making it happen. I mean, I think one of the reasons that we're in a tough place is uh, a lot of the traditional forms of media like TV and newspapers just assumed that things were never going to change. <laughs> and, and, and that the product was not that they were selling paper, but that they were selling information. Yeah. And, and for too long, I think, particularly the newspaper business never got away from the idea that they were selling paper, that they mm-hmm. were actually selling information is what people were buying. And, and that's, I think people realize that now. So every, everybody, in, everybody in this dance has to figure out the new steps. Um, uh, and we all have a part to play. And I think we all have a part, I think us as journalists have a, uh, have a, a, we have a responsibility to sort of educate our readers when we can. And you're starting to hear a little bit of that now. We're, we're also starting to see those Facebooks and Googles of the world being called to the carpet uh, a little bit. And I wonder how you feel about those entities and are we starting to move towards uh, and I don't even want to use the word censorship, but if do you see a day where the FCC may actually oversee social media in addition to that other side of things, that over-the-air uh, distribution of, of information? Um, are those social media companies getting too big and do they need to be broken up similar to what they did with the phone companies uh, decades yeah. ago? Yeah, we broke up the phone companies. We all still have phones. It's not like phones went away when it happened. That's right. It's not the end of the world. Um, I think, I think there, I think there is antitrust. I think there is some antitrust act, something that can be done around Google and Facebook. I know with my last magazine, we spent tens of thousands of dollars on Facebook advertising to drive traffic to our website where the theory was is that eventually our website would fly on its own, but that's not how it works. I mean, you get caught in this, you get caught in this terrible catch 22 where you're, you're feeding Facebook to send traffic to your website and it's never enough. You never send enough traffic to, (laughs) you never actually send enough traffic unless you're big, like the New York times or the Washington post, then it works. If you're small, it doesn't work. Right. Um, uh, I mean, I think 
I, I think they that that they unlike um, Google and Facebook have made a tremendous amount of money off the hard work of journalistic companies because that is one of the reasons people or Twitter. Um, but you know, cable companies pay cable networks to carry their content. You know, it's not you know. Fox and CNN and MSNBC don't pay for the privilege of being on Comcast. Comcast pays them for their content. Right. You know, and what never happened in the world of the internet is Facebook and Google and Twitter never paid the local newspapers, the local TV stations for their content. It was all this whole, like, if it's free, it's good. And, um, you know, that... (laughs) That's, that's globally, that's what's happening. They're looking at some sort of revenue sharing or there's a whole bunch of things on that front. But I think part of it might be breaking them up, making them smaller, reducing their impact. Um, I, I frankly would welcome it. I'm, 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 I'm not bullish about the role they play. I don't like, I don't like having to be on Instagram and I don't like having to be on Facebook and I don't certainly don't want to give them any money. Not that they would take my money because it's cannabis money. They're not going to right. take my money, but. No, I think that's interesting. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, even though the cable companies uh, share revenue with the content producers, ultimately it's the consumer who is paying for that content right. to be delivered to their households via exactly. wire. Yeah. And uh, even those days are going away with the cord cutting. But I got to tell you, as someone who has both a cable bill and a smart TV Hulu bill, it can still add up for you. Oh, yeah. And, and it's not as easy finding content you want to watch on the smart TV, Roku, OTT channels, as opposed to the old, the old guard NBC, ABC, CBS. Oh, world. yeah. Oh, well, I spend sometimes I spend more time trying to decide what to watch than actually watching something <laughs> and, and <laughs> trying to find we, something. Right. And I was going to say, remember, we've all done this, right? Yeah. We all flip through the cable guide and it keeps going and going and sheet after sheet. And you go, no, 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 right. no, no. I just say, yeah, definitely been there. Yeah. I mean, that's well, that gives you I mean, that's that's where uh, that's one of the challenges we have is in that that there is so much stuff that people can watch and read uh, and listen to. There's so much and everybody has just a finite amount of time to devote to it. And um, that's where I think, you know, being specific, being niche or being specific or catering to a particular thing for people that they like or are interested in or wanna know about gives you that leg up. And so if we're giving good cannabis content to people who are hungry to learn about a new product in their world, mm-hmm. then, then we, can't, we can't hope but be at least somewhat successful in that because that, that's our challenge. And I think that pushes us to make better content for people. Right. Well, I hope we yeah. just made a little good content for people. I Michael, hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> I found, I, as always, I find talking to um, 
comrades in the in the world of media, publishing, uh, producing, okay. whichever word you want to throw at it. Um, I, I do appreciate your efforts, and I'm with you 100% on that. And I look forward to hopefully uh, continuing this conversation down the road as we both continue to grow and, and be successful here in 2021. How do people find and where do you find a Different Leaf magazine? You can head to differentleaf.com. That's uh, our website. There's a list of all of the dispensaries and bookstores in Massachusetts primarily where we're available. Um, if you happen to be in New York or London, you can buy us too, but primarily we're in Massachusetts and our podcast is on all platforms. Just search Different Leaf. There you go, with Britt Smith, love that. Michael Cusack from A Different Leaf, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, and I look forward to continuing our conversation at a high level. There's one of those puns yeah, again. I like that, I like that very much. Thanks so uh, much for the invitation and it's great to see you. You bet, and remember for all of you who do subscribe, like and share In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, we so appreciate it. And remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening. We Talk Now, We Talk News, and In the Weeds are all available on most major podcast distributors like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our friends at clnsmedia.com and our flagship, cannabis.net. So subscribe, share, and like our videos on all the social media networks out there, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, The Weed Tube, and YouTube. Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area. Now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first.